following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Good morning. Um, so my name is Jimmy Branch. I'm an elder here at Missio. Uh, thank you for the mask. At least that says I've become accommodated to it. No, um, uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, I'm an elder here at Messio, uh, and it's such an honor. And of course, I can't get up here without mentioning biblical counseling that we've just started here, or started more. We've always done that at Messio, and there's pastors here who want to talk to you. If you're having struggles, if you've got things going on, if you've hit roadblocks, spiritual, just you just need help. Reach out to the church. Uh, you can find the counseling uh, by going to the website, hitting the Get Involved tab, and then Next Steps. And that's what we're here for, is to help shepherd. Um, so, first of all, if you're new here, uh, first, uh, normally Brian Robbins, sitting here with his beautiful family, is, is preaching. Normally he's preaching, and, and I urge you to come back and hear him. He is like one of my favorite speakers. I always say that. I'm not just trying to earn points with him. I will tell you, we've been here for almost a decade, or somewhere in that, and his preaching is just, it's just good. He works hard. He puts time into it, and, I, and the Lord anoints it, and I appreciate that so much. That is my number one reason for being here, and second, being I love the people. I love you guys. Um, second uh, thing to know, if you're a visitor here, is we are currently going through the book of Acts and are in the middle of Paul's first missionary journey. So we've been in here for a month or so, or two months, maybe in Acts. I lose track, but... Um, so the book of Acts, in short, is the history of the birth of the church and its growth propelled by the Holy Spirit. That's like a quick summation, though there's more to be said about that. So last week, we ended chapter 13 with Paul and Barnabas being expelled from Pisidian Antioch and headed to Iconium about 80 miles away. Um, <clears throat> we pick up in chapter 14 looking at verses 1 through 19a, which is the first part of 19 up to the little apostrophe. So please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. And if you don't have a Bible, there is one under the seat, either in front of you or below you. Um, and I encourage you to get that if you don't have one. So I'm going to read Acts 14, 1 through 19a. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained there for, remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat, mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra, and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. 
And the priest, of, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let me pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share the word again this morning, to share this portion of scripture that you've given to us, to show us the struggles and the opposition that the early church felt and knew, and to remind us through Larry's prayer that the church in the world is still feeling these persecutions, but it has not stopped your gospel from spreading. It has not stopped your word from going out and for people's lives to be changed. I thank you, Lord, and I pray as we sit here this morning and we we focus on your word, that all the distractions that are around us fade away, Lord, and that we focus on you and what you have to say to us. And I pray that everyone leaving here today, Lord, will know you better and know who they are in you better and love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the story of Acts is that of the birth of the church and its expansion as the Holy Spirit leads the first believers to go and spread the good news of the grace of God and his salvation. It is full of growth and persecution. It is a story that does not end till Christ returns. Let me get some water here. In the first service, I said I hope that Hannah didn't put this in bronze bottle because that would be terrible for him since he's here to see me drinking out his bottle. It'd make it, but it, she assured me it's not. I hope so. So, um, Acts. <clears throat> As I said in the beginning today, Paul and Barnabas have been expelled from Pisidian Antioch for preaching the gospel and upsetting those resistant to what God is doing. So they traveled up to 80 miles, or they've traveled roughly 80 miles since being expelled, and are now in Iconium, which is a Greek city in the Roman province of Galatia. And that's important to us, um, because Galatia, uh, or the, uh, the Galatians, the book that came out of that Paul wrote to his converts as traveling through here, has played a great role in who we are as Christians, as Protestants. Like, the book of Galatians is, is just, what it's done in history is just amazing, and there's so much there that could be said. So these events that Paul went through with these people. So Paul and Barnabas are to Iconium, and Paul's evangelism follows here his same pattern as in Pisidian Antioch. He begins in the Jewish synagogue. And that's a natural starting point since Jewish people already believed the Old Testament scriptures were the words of God. So he already had this foundation. Just as Jesus, when he walked on the road after his resurrection, with the two disciples, and he explained everything in the Old Testament about him. This same thing can happen in that situation that's already there, and they can see it, and it can be pointed to. We'll see that Paul has to change that mode shortly. But here in this situation, it's a natural starting point. So the Holy Spirit, um, in this first one, we see the Holy Spirit was clearly prospering the apostles' ministry, evidenced by their preaching, because it says, they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks... That is, Gentiles believed. 
But then he goes on to verse 2 immediately and says, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against Paul and Barnabas. And that is not much different today. That goes on in so many aspects of our life. There's always people there poisoning these things, these good things that God's doing. They're trying to, to, to distract us. Even in here, there's people who are distracted about their work week or what's going on tonight or their relationship, their marriage, uh, whatever it is. We've got this opposition um, that's coming at us at all times. And Paul and Barnabas feel this opposition tremendously. This opposition is always trying to keep us. It's trying to poison our mind. It's trying to keep us from hearing what God has to say. And it's always pushing back. Thank God for the Holy Spirit uh, to battle these things. So as I said, but the unbelieving, verse 2, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against Paul and Barnabas. So they remained for a long time. Verse 3, they remained for a long time. Now, I think that's pretty cool. They've got this resistance, and it it says that, and then it goes, so they remained for a long time. So they're just like, I'm sticking this out. Nothing dissuaded them. And it says, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So as I just said, we see here that even though there was this strong resistance, verse 2, to their message, they were able to maintain their witness. Paul and Barnabas were not about to back down, and with the power of the Holy Spirit, they were able to speak boldly for the Lord. On top of that, the Lord bore witness to their message by granting signs and wonders. These signs confirmed the truth of the gospel. Now, signs and wonders are still going on in the world today. Uh, America is just a different place. There's things that happen here. The rest of the world, there's such a hunger for the gospel. There's such a need. Um, God still does these things. Now, I will tell you, there are things out there that will be proclaimed as signs and wonders that are just junk, but you'll know that with the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. But when you see God really doing something, it's life-changing. You know it's from God. There'll be no doubt. You know that, it, that it's from God. So uh, these signs confirm the truth of the gospel. Later, when Paul was writing to the his Galatian converts, Paul appeals to these mighty works performed by the Spirit as evidence that the gospel as he preached it and as that they had received it was fully approved by God. Galatians 3, 4 through 5. Uh, theologian and commentator Charles Erdman says this, Here at Iconium, the opposition was more severe than it had been at Antioch. And here, by contrast, the manifestation of divine power was greater, and signs and wonders were done by the hands of the apostles. This has often been the experience of Christian workers. When difficulties increase, there's a comforting revelation of the grace and mercy and goodness of God. I can attest to that. And I know there's people here that can attest to that. Like when things are at their worst, and I believe that's when God does his greatest work, when we are in the middle of those either shattered dreams or that, that persecution or that problem, it makes us lean on him more. It, meets, it makes us go to him. And in that, he does such wonderful things. And as when you've done something, how many people here can attest that maybe you've had someone push back? Maybe it's hurt a relationship. Maybe someone's gotten angry at you, but inside you knew you were, you were honoring your God and you just had this resolve that it was okay. Um. But the opposition, so we see in verse 4 through 6, the opposition continued. The city was divided. So verse 4, but the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Now, I think that's pretty awesome that their ministry had affected the whole city. That's pretty good stuff, right? Like, that's, that's, that's where we should be. I'm hoping that for Missio Day, or at least some church in this area, with the gospel 
affects the whole city, whether it be good or bad. And you would say, well, they're divided, Jimmy. They're not all on board. Right. But even division can bring attention. Even division can cause people to look at things and want to understand it. As I said in the first service, I remember years ago sitting with a friend who did a lot of witnessing and evangelism, and I was just tooling over this like most of us do, and that, well, for it to be real, you got to bring them to salvation, and you got to pray with them, and they got to get saved. And he said, not so. You're just, you're just one of the workers. Sometimes you're just planting seeds. Sometimes you're just watering it. And <clears throat> so... He showed me that even through that opposition, through that, even when you don't think something's there, he called the waitress over or whoever it was, came over and they were doing something, and he brought up just a, the spiritual aspect of things. They were having a little money belt, and I didn't know this, someone had failed on it and it hurt them. And he said, Hey, what do you think about that worker? And so and so failed, blah, blah, blah. And they said, Oh, yeah, that was a horrible thing. And it like messed them up, really made the news or something. And he goes, What do you think would have happened if they died? And she was like, I don't know. I hadn't thought about that. And he goes, I don't know. It's just something to think about, isn't it? And she turns around and walks off. And I was like, what are you doing? You didn't finish the rest. And he goes, she's thinking spiritually. He's like, it's still happening right there. Her mind's thinking. The Holy Spirit can use that to carry it on. So God can even use negativity and those things where people are fighting back against us to win other people over. They see it and say, I want to go to this church and see what's happening. Why is this happening? Um, The apostles find out that their time at Iconium was running out. They discover a plot to mistreat and stone them. This is that opposition. They flee to Lystra, verse 7. And it says immediately, they continue, there they continue to preach. I think that's the verse there. It says there they continue to preach. <clears throat> they don't give up or go into hiding. They continue. Now, if some of you are like mine, mind, when I read that, I'm like, wait, they fled. I thought they had the Holy Spirit. I thought, what's going on here? But as me and Brian had talked earlier... And he reminded me, that is what's going on in Acts. Every time it gets going, the church and the persecution comes, the church spreads out even further. The gospel goes out further. God did that. He said, you're going to go to the ends of the earth. How did it happen? He brought persecution and it sent people out. Um, But Charles Erdman again says on this fled, he says, fled is the proper course for missionaries to take in the face of danger. Or he says, is this the proper course for missionaries to take in the face of danger? This only circumstances can determine. At times, it is best to suffer as martyrs. At other times, to seek safety and to rest and to resume work when the storm is spent. And we see that with Paul. There was times it was time for him to go. And there was times that he suffered as a martyr, literally being killed. There's also the factor, I have to think about this. As I, as I thought about that, and, and, and that was kind of consoling me, it was like the Holy Spirit said, but remember There's also the factor of the sovereignty of God. It was his will for them to move on. It was time to go. They want, now they're not gone forever here. They're like not fleeing and not coming back. Oh, that bad town, I'm not going back to that part of the building. Those people hate me over there because I said the word Jesus in church. I hear that all the time, like people think that way. But, But they're coming back. If you watch Paul's missionary journey, he takes this journey and they turn and come back the way they went, strengthening the believers that they've, that, that they've found in those cities or that they've converted. Um, there's, uh, Lystra was about 20 miles southwest, and that's going to be important here in a few minutes to let us know how, how bad the opposition, how bad people want to stop this sometimes. It was mainly populated by Gentiles and had no synagogue. So now Paul's going to have to change up stuff here. So um, Lystra, and this is just a side note, 
for you people who like trivia, Caesar Augustus had turned it into a Roman colony in 6 B.C. And by bringing army veterans and their families into it, made it the most eastern of the fortified cities of Galatia. Now, this is important. This is important timing for Paul to be able to take these missionary journeys. This was a perfect place in time with the Roman Empire controlling everything and kind of making things safer. For you nerds out there who are into Star Wars, it's the same way with the Empire. In a way, with the Empire being there, it made things sort of safe for people to move and go about. Um, and we won't talk about how the ragtag bunch of people were able to stop the Empire. But um, So... Uh, the Jews, so in the city of Lystra, Jews live there, but their influence seems minimal. Minimal. So here at Lystra, here Paul altered his pattern of ministry. He sees looking around, what's going on? What can I do here? Because, see, this is already happening. The Jews keep pushing back. So now Paul is going to start turning more to the Gentiles. That's not saying Jews weren't getting saved. We already seen on the day of Pentecost uh, tons of Jews coming to the church. But at this point, it's time for that ministry to keep growing. And that's what's God, what God's doing here. So here Paul alters his pattern of ministry with no Jewish synagogue being present. Paul had found a spot where there was an opportunity to preach. And he does this again in chapter 17 when he's in Athens. He finds a place to preach and he preaches, not in the synagogue, but to the people. <clears throat> um, and I think here, just a side note, not that this matters in it, but his is probably at the beginning or the gates of the city. We'll see in a minute why I think that's going on. Um, but it's where everybody's meeting. Everybody comes together. We see that throughout uh, the Bible in places where there's cities. There's always this place, there's this hub. And that still goes on in other parts of the world where there's just this common area. Everybody comes together to socialize or to trade or do whatever. So verses 8 through 10 say, now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Once again, the Holy Spirit is behind their ministry confirming it with a miraculous healing. This caught everybody's attention. So just as Peter's healing, we saw back in chapter 3, each cripple was lame from birth. I think it's interesting that it puts that in there. It could just say a cripple, but it says lame from birth. To me, this is important because everybody in town knew this guy was crippled. They had seen him since he was a baby. They knew him. They, either he may be begging or they were feeding him or they were carrying him or he's crawling. I don't know, but they knew this guy. There was no way they could say it was a hoax. It was validated. They could not deny it. This was miraculous. There was no way they could say, oh, this guy came into town a couple of weeks ago. This is all fake. So side note here, last week, or so notice where it says Paul looking intently. It says Paul was looking intently. It's interesting, the same phrase is used here in 14.9 is used in 13.9 uh, when Paul is dealing with the magician. Last week when Brian was preaching, I think it was last week when he was preaching 13, and when it said, he came to that, Paul looking intently, I was like, wait. That's weird. That's the same phrasing that's used in 14.9. So in 13.9, when Paul is dealing with the magician who is trying to turn the proconsul from the faith, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, declares he will be blinded. That's a miracle. It's not the kind of miracle you want, but it worked in that situation. And he is. When Paul looks intently, you know something's going to happen. And, and we know Peter did the same thing with that cripple. It says that he gazed at him. 
So what's going on here? And of course, my comical mind imagines Barnabas standing over the side and he sees this look and he's like, oh, something's getting ready to happen. You know, like that coworker that usually blow up, blows up and you're like, oh, there it comes. It's happening. Um, so, <clears throat> so what's going on here? Paul has discernment. The Holy Spirit, um, it, it, the Holy Spirit somehow is giving Paul the ability to see what's going on in the invisible spiritual realm. Notice it says here that in that verse it says, um, back up to it there, uh, he says, and looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well. So Paul has this discernment. And I'm telling you, that's not just for Paul. That's for us. Now, there are people who have extra special discernment. And I love having those people around me. Because often I can't see things. They're like, don't go near that person. Or don't do that. Or don't do this. And I appreciate them. But all of us have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us if we are believers and followers of Christ. We have this ability to discern whether it's something we need to flee from or something to engage with. <clears throat> um, so let me get back to where I was here. Verses 11 through 13. Uh, I titled this section, The Crowd Goes Off the Rails. And it does. It doesn't happen what you want. You want everybody to go, oh, that's it. Where do we sign up for Sunday school? Uh, and I'll help with this ministry. Like, it doesn't go that way. This crowd, it says, in, starting in verse 11, it says, And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. So I imagine this is all taking place at the entrance to the city. This is going down. It's, it's getting pretty exciting at this point when these people see this happening. So when the crowd saw this, they cried out in their native tongue, declaring Paul and Barnabas gods. This is important because it takes Paul and Barnabas a minute to get on board there. Um, and so that, too, can mess with this a little bit when you look at it. And you go, well, they were just preaching to them. How can they not understand what they're saying? So it's like this. When you look at that and you look at uh, cultures, I have friends that are multiple language speakers, like, um, like three and four languages um, or more. And they will tell you that once you start learning a language, especially in a certain region, uh, say like Europe, uh, French, German, or anything, that, languages that are like maybe... Uh, uh, Germanic or Gaelic or have these roots and those things, there is some nuances that are similar, so you can kind of understand each other, and that's why they can sometimes communicate easier because there are similarities. But when someone's speaking in their native tongue, like straight up with their own dialect, it becomes hard. We see this even if anybody here who uh, speaks Spanish and you, you talk with someone who's Spanish, you can understand them. But if they jump into just full-blown Spanish and they're in their own dialect, you're going, whoa, slow down, huh? What was that? I don't know. So it's taking them a minute to figure out what's going on because these people have gone full native. <laughs> They've gone full native on this with their native tongue. So uh, lots going on here. At first glance, you would think they would call Paul Zeus because he seemed to be the leader. That's what went through my mind, and apparently others. Like, well, he's the leader. He should be the chief god, which is Zeus. But from their perspective, since Paul did the speaking, he must be Hermes, the messenger. Uh, Hermes was represented a messenger god uh, among the pantheon of gods, little g's, and even Zeus to me is a little g. He's not real. Um, 
And then Barnabas being Zeus, the chief god, because he was maybe stoic or standing over there not saying much, so they were like, Hermes is delivering this message. And we can think, well, that's crazy. But things are set up right here. Um, when you look, so I talked about this earlier in the earlier service, there are extra biblical stuff. And often, since we're talking about sharing and witnessing, uh, we feel like everything has to come from the Bible to support who Christ is and who Jesus is, and we get stymied when people throw stuff at us. But there are tons of extra-biblical resources that were written around the same time that we can use to see a picture of the church. There was Josephus, a Jewish historian, who's not necessarily a believer. I don't know if he ever became one, but he's recording information as it happens during that period of time. We can look at his writings. That gives me chill bumps, actually. We can look at his writings and see him going talking about these believers, this church, Jesus. We have all this extra-biblical sources. Same thing here. Um, so um, attributing deity to Barnabas and Paul can probably be traced back to a legend about Zeus and Hermes. Um, and this is, see, when you study your Bible and you just get out there, you can just like find all the stuff that's really great. So to a legend about Zeus and Hermes visiting an aged Listerian couple, yes, in Listeria, this happened there, supposedly, in legend. Uh, Zeus and Hermes visiting an aged Listerian couple named Philemon and Bacchus, who were rewarded for their hospitality by turning their home into a golden temple. That's pretty good. Um, it would stand out in my neighborhood, for sure. Um, <laughs> while the other inhospitable Listerians were punished. That's key. Because the legend goes that Zeus and Hermes came down and they're disguised as humans and they're going around and nobody's being hospitable to them. And finally this couple is and they're like, that's it. This is who we are and we're blessing them, but all of you are going to pay dearly. And I can't remember if the legends, all their houses got wiped out or something, which made the Golden Temple stand out even more, right? So like, it's the only house. Um, so for them, this would be their main motivation for offering a sacrifice so as not to bring the God's wrath. So they're kicking into their own culture. All this is stuff's going on. They're remembering the story. The priest of the temple of Zeus is like, I've got to get in on this because I don't want their house looking better than our current temple. <clears throat> so at this point, uh, Paul and Barnabas had no idea what was transpiring, transpiring since the crowd's exclamation was in their own native language. But instead... Um, well, first of all, in verse 14, we, say, we see, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out. So they tore their garments. Like they, they're kind of getting a feeling of what's going on, and, they're, and now it's on. They have to stop this. So um, it horrified them when they realized what was happening, just as when angels, we see that in the Bible, Brian's talked about this before, when angels... Um, are delivering a message, and the person they're delivering the message bows down and starts worshiping them, the, the angel's like, stop it, get up, don't do that. I don't need none of this. I'm here delivering a message from God. Don't treat me this way. It's very important. Um, tearing, of or, uh, tearing of clothes was a way of showing strong aversion to blasphemy. Um, so what happened when they do this? They're actually ripping their, sh their shirts like four to five inches in here. They're just tearing them. And it isn't like us. They like can't run back to their closet or their Sprinter van or whatever it is they're sleeping in the Walmart parking lots with to grab another shirt. Um, so this is important. They're showing how, how, how important this is. Um, and then and Paul 
uh, speaks. He starts a mini sermon and he says, men, this starts in verse, or is in verse 15. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness. Take a break there. I think you need chapstick up here too when you're preaching besides water. Um, so, uh, so right here, they go, men, why are you doing this? Why are, we are only men like you. So Paul and Barnabas were not about to be party to such a blasphemous act. They didn't, want to be, they didn't want to be seen this way at all. We saw back in chapter 12 when Brian was in that part. Um, I think Brian preached that. What happened to Herod Antipas? Uh, he had allowed himself to be given homage as a god. It did not go well, for him, go well for him failing to deny it. And I'll just leave it at this for you guys don't know that. Uh, no, he was eaten by worms. So very vital, if someone calls you a god, deny it. Like, turn them away. I don't even, yeah. So uh, uh, commentator and theologian Paul Hill says this. He says, it seems to be human nature to want gods that can be seen and touched. Gods in the likeness of men. Holy men in every age succumb to the temptation to be venerated. Ministers should follow the examples of the apostles and take warning from Herod. You know, this happens today. As I read that and I think about it, this happens today uh, with famous ministers, politicians, celebrities, um, that people put their faith in these people for their future. And maybe we don't call them gods, but we treat them like gods, or we try to align them with us in some way and to validate who they are as leaders. Um, It's a very dangerous thing to do. Um, there's probably actually someone who just came to your mind when I said that in modern culture that maybe people hold up as a god or in that position and follow them too closely. So it is here that Paul begins a mini-sermon trying to change the direction of the crowd. Remember, this crowd was pagan and had little or no knowledge of the, Jew- of, of the Jewish God, the living God that Paul is talking about. So the apostle here is actually, since he's a different group. This isn't a Jewish synagogue. These aren't Jews. He's, the apostle had to start at the very beginning, not with the coming of Christ, but with the basic theological assumptions of monotheism, that God is one. It's, we first see that in Deuteronomy 6.4. They were worshiping many gods. The Listerians were worshiping many gods, which were nothing but gods tailored to themselves. They are vain things. Um, a lot of times you'll find that the things that we worship best suit us. They look like us. They act like us, and they don't condemn us when we do wrong or we don't do things we should do. And that's why they're vain. Paul is like, these are vain things you're pursuing. Turn from them. Um, <clears throat> so this is something to keep in mind when you're sharing the gospel or you're witnessing. Um, not the whole vain God thing. It might, depending on the person you're talking to. But it's that starting at the beginning, Paul changing how he addresses the group he's with. How does he come at him? How does he talk to him? Um, you can't treat everybody exactly the same. 
People have different cultures. They have different upbringings. I'm not saying change the message, but at least be respectful enough to find out who they are and find out what they know to see if you need to start at the very beginning. Brian had actually said this last week. He said, start where someone is. That is great advice. I hear this all the time. People all the time coming to me. I do this. I've gone to people like, I want to share. I want to tell this person, but I don't know how to talk to them. I don't know what to do. Start where someone is. Stop making it hard and just find out where they're at. But remember, well, I'll leave that for a second here. So um, also that... um, it made me think uh, when I was doing this, when Brian said that, start where someone is. My daughter, Amelia, when she was like five or six, somewhere in there, and I would have to go preach. I would get anxiety sometimes. She would see that. You know, I'm just like wanting to get through the Word, and I'm wanting to do this. And she would go, I don't know what the big deal is. Just start at the beginning. And I would always go, well, I don't know if you know what you're talking about. But then it dawned on me <laughs> that, that starting at the beginning, you can, and her reasoning was, she said the Bible starts out and says in the beginning. And I was like, I'm going to take that advice. And there's been times. And we live, I'm telling you, we live in a culture that's probably two generations into unchurched culture in America. I don't, I don't know about the rest of the world. But, but in America, there are kids, I'll talk to kids, and they don't even know what a Bible is. So you can't start talking about, well, Jonah and the well, and they're going to think that's crazy. Anyway, you've got to give them some context, some background. They don't know who Jesus is. I see these signs when I'm driving through Asheville. Occasionally, church will put them and say, repent and believe the gospel. Well, there's two words in there. Most of the general public doesn't understand repent and gospel. So they're just like, huh, and they move on. I'm not saying those signs don't do their work. Those are more for people, I think, that know those things and have maybe walked away. But we need to reach a culture where it's at, not change the message. Do not read that in. We need to find them where they're at. And if we need to start at the beginning, then we need to start at the beginning. Um, this living God made everything. In the past, he let them walk in their own ways in ignorance. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. He did good for them. He gave them fruitful seasons, rain, and food. Jesus himself said in Matthew 5.45, God makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Paul says in Romans 1, 19 through 20, concerning the unrighteous, for what, this is what Paul says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. And, and that's true for me. Even when I was not, per se, I was introduced to the gospel at a young age, but I probably didn't really start believing, believing, believing. There's phases there until I was older. But I could always, and still to this day, when I'm doubting, I look around at God's creation. And I go, there's no way there's not a God. You can argue this stuff with me all day long. And I just, I even look at my own household pet. And I hear the people right now, well, that's domesticated. It don't matter. There's a God. When I look at that thing, I'm like, this is amazing. Like what we have. Uh, there's a, a, someone here at the church that um, uh, brought me some honey. They have bees. And it is amazing. When you look at these bees who, he said, they do all this work in the dark. Uh, scientists are amazed by them. And you eat that honey, you go, wow, God has provided this. Cows eat green grass and make, white, or make milk. I don't know if it's totally white when it comes out, but it's still good, right? <laughs> So, so there's no excuse. But now that the truth has been preached, there was 
there was no way out. There was no excuse. God's reaching out. Here I am. If you didn't find me before, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to you. Here I am. Come to me. <clears throat> Verse 18. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. This mini-sermon did not have much effect. We'll find this crowd is so fickle. And it's the same crowd that's around today. We can be this way. We can be fickle. The opposition grows. So, so verse 19, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. Isn't it wild how the Bible makes that transition? Like, don't do this. We're men like you. And then like one verse later, he's laying outside the city stoned. I don't know. That's, that's amazing. Um, um, so let me read that verse again. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. Now this is devotion. Now I know what you're thinking. It's devotion from uh, Paul. Well, absolutely. But... These people, wow, look at this. It says the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Um, they traveled 100 miles. These Jews traveled almost 100 miles and picking up people along the way. They picked up others in Iconium, which was 20 miles back. They hate the gospel so much, they want to stop it. They're devoted. And, I want, and actually, I want to talk about that like just for a second. I didn't say this in the first service, but sometimes I admire the devotion of cult groups and other people who are passing, pushing other stuff. At least they believe in it enough to get out and, and do something. It's them I see in the neighborhoods going out and reach people. And I get all the arguments about, well, you can't do it that way today, but they're sold out. Even if it's a lie, they're sold out. We have the living God. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. I'm just saying Um, these enemies of the gospel of grace turned the crowd. Now think about this. This is the same crowd that was just trying to make them gods. They were just trying to make them gods. And I don't know, one verse, I don't know if that's 15 minutes or two days later, but still, they're turning, they have turned them, this fickle crowd has been turned um, uh, against them to go out and stone them. This is that opposition that we all meet. You're going to meet. Witnessing and sharing your faith is easy, but you will meet opposition. But know that you have the Holy Spirit. And just a quick side note, this is the second of five times a crowd was incited because of Paul's ministry. And just, I had to say this in the first service, I keep talking about them. We'll talk about the first service, they're not here. So, so um, anybody who really talks about like prosperity gospel, health and wealth and all that stuff. And I believe God wants you to be healthy. And if he sees fit to make you wealthy, that's fine too. But that's not what it's all about. And if anybody that's about prosperity gospel, when I look at Paul, I'm like, well, then God hated him because he was shipwrecked. He was bitten by a snake. He got thrown in prison. He was stoned. He was killed. He had depressing moments where he's like, what am I doing? But God used him. God always is challenging us. I feel like it's in those places. It's in those times when we are feeling the opposition or we, are, we do have shattered dreams that we lean on God. We know Him the most. He is who's girding us up. He's showing us it is He who is strengthening us, not ourselves or anyone else. So, closing this out. Um, so what does this, this portion of Scripture say to us? Um, about God, it says to me, He is merciful. 
it's merciful because he didn't have to, he let these people walk in their own ways in the past. They're worshiping other gods. He could have just been like, worship your other false gods. But he didn't. He loved them enough to send Paul. He was willing to send one of his servants to possibly die to spread the word. Who does that remind you of? His son. That is mercy. He came to a people that knew they would kill him, but he did instead. He did it anyway. He provides. He provided the, uh, with the uh, missionaries, the apostles, with everything they needed. He guides. He guides them in his sovereignty, and he guides them directly sometimes by telling them it's time to leave. Uh, what does it say about ministry? Ministry is challenging. If you don't want challenge and you don't want to have something challenging, the ministry is not for you. But anything you like and love is going to be challenging, right? What is it other things that we put ourselves into fully with all the challenge and don't think anything about it? What does it say? What does this portion say about missions and witnessing? It's going to be opposition. But let me ask you this. Well, first, let me say this. It can be really hard and scary. But the Holy Spirit is with you. You are not alone. The scriptures tell us that repeatedly. We worry about sharing and witnessing. I do. I'm, not, I'm preaching to me right now. I'm telling you, the best sermons are the ones you're preaching at yourself because you feel them and you know them. Um, but let me ask you, what is the possible outcomes in our culture and city for witnessing and sharing and just being who we are, loving Jesus in front of other people? I ask myself this all the time when I'm dealing with something I've got to do. I'm like, what's the worst possible outcome? Now, today preaching, I was like, what's the possible worst outcome? I did see you guys carrying me out like, and throwing me over in the creek, but I did it anyway. Or not, there's no creek. Pretend there's a creek there. Um, what is the possible outcomes in our culture? Are we afraid of being mistaken for a God? Highly unlikely. I mean, but it is Asheville, so it's possible. Um. <clears throat> Are we afraid of being stoned? We live in a really safe society, really, compared to other societies. I mean, I get reports from the persecuted church, the persecution stuff, and like every week, there's people like are dying, like pastors who are just getting shot on the street and killed and their families abused for the gospel. I doubt you're going to get stoned in the city. And if you did, then at least we're going to get attention, right? Um, Maybe you're afraid of being attacked verbally. I think that's some of fear sometimes. Like we're going to have to get into this verbal war or maybe they're going to start booing you or maybe you're afraid they're going to think you're like a street preacher or something. I don't know. All this stuff goes through our heads. But I think it's most likely rejection. And I say that because years ago I had an event like well, I was trying to share. And I'm going to tell you, everybody who knows me knows that I'm like all over the place sometimes and my life can be very comedic. Um, but I was, uh, at this period of time, and I still would do this, I was... Like, because I was just so zealous for it. I was carrying tracks and stuff. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, tracks. Uh, but these are really good, right? So these are like, serious, serious. There are ones you can find out there. And they're really just springboards, to be honest with you. That's all a track is meant for. It's just an opportunity. People who leave them in bathrooms, first of all, that's gross. I'm not picking it up. When I see one laying on the back of the toilet, I don't know if this happens in women's restrooms. But I've seen them on the backs of toilets. I'm not picking them up. <laughs> so don't do that. Put it, get you a piece of scotch tape and put it on the outside of the door or something. <laughs> but, um, but these are really good. They're illusions and stuff like that. And they're springboards to get people talking. They look at them. And, and the worst thing about them is people just want to use them to show people stuff, but they're not thinking about the gospel. But I, occasionally in my job, I travel. 
in my secular job, I travel a lot around Western North Carolina, and I end up in a lot of different places. And when I'm out, I have some free time. Well, I like guitars. So I will stop and look at guitars and guitar shops. I did used to do that, but then I realized it's hard on your budget to do that, so I stopped. Um, but I developed relationships in those. And there was one out in Silva, and I need from there, but it was a little guitar shop tucked back in the way, and the guy's name was Bill, I think, I'm pretty sure. And I was like, okay, I'm going to witness to him. I, that's it. I'm going to share the gospel with him. But I, I don't know. I had good intentions. Um, so what I did was I had one of these tracks. There's never anybody in this guitar shop, right? I mean, seriously. So I go in, and I'm like, got it in my pocket, and I'm going to share the gospel, making this way harder than it needs to be. And these people come in, and I'm like, what? There's people here. Like, there's, and they're talking to him. So then I start second-guessing it, and I'm like, I know what I'll do. I'm going to leave it on his cash register or on his counter. Maybe right here, maybe right there. Maybe he'll find it later. I'm just like, I don't know. And so I do this when he's not looking. And I'm like, see you later. And I leave. And I go out to my vehicle and I'm sitting there. And then that opposition in my mind starts or whatever it is. And he goes, hey, what is he going to think, Jimmy? He's going to see this piece of paper and be like, where'd this come from? Some magical spiritual force dropped this here. No, he's going to go, there's only been one other person here today. And why did he do that? It's like awkward. So now I'm like, I got to go get the track back. <laughs> Seriously, this is, how, this is how I do. You can ask my wife. She knows. Like, so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, so I just wanted to leave, but I was like, I'm going back to get the track. So you can hear the music. Dun, 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 dun. So he's still in there with those people. I go in, the track's laying there. And I'm like, I got to get it. But I can't really grab. What if he thinks this time I'm getting something out of his cash register? And that's really bad, right? But I finally, and as I go to get it, I'm making my move. Those people all of a sudden are like, all right, see you, bye. And he turns around and he's like, what you doing? <laughs> uh, I was going to give this to you. And, and I was leaving here, but I was getting it. So then I start going to see, and he looks at me and he goes, why wouldn't you just give this to me? He wasn't a believer that I know of. He, maybe he was, but he didn't say so then. And it hit me. I was like, why was, it? Why was I making this so hard? It's because I was afraid of being rejected. Sometimes we're just afraid of being rejected. You shouldn't have that fear. And I'll tell you why. You've been accepted by the living God, verse 15. Let that ring out. You've been accepted by the living God who made everything and gave himself witness in your life, verse 17. And you have a witness, your testimony. You can come up with acronyms or whatever it is, A, all have fallen short of the glory of God and have sinned. That's fine, but people want to know you. They want to see the gospel at work in your life. Share. Share what God's done. They can't be like, that didn't happen. Yeah, it did. Um, so you've been accepted by a living God who made everything. So here's the deal. He is who we should fear being rejected by. That's who everybody should be, not us. It says that, even it says in the scripture, it says, why would you be afraid of men who can just kill the body? God's like next level. But here's the deal. That only happens if you reject him. And you're not. You're here. You, you've accepted the living God. He lives in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. So when the opposition comes, you have him dwelling in you. So I'm going to leave you with a set of questions. These are not normal questions. These are not questions like, uh, maybe we'd normally put up. And these are ones that I got from somebody, and I think it had, it had something to do with military or whatever, and like someone was in the military who was in charge of making things happen, and they said, this is how I always made sure that all information was being passed on, and I want to apply this to witnessing. So these, these three questions are, what do I know? What do you know? What has God done for you? What has he done for you? Who needs to know? And have I told them? 
So let me pray. I'm going to end on that. And uh, we're going to do communion today. And after I pray, uh, I think last week anybody was here. So the tables are set up here. There are gluten-free. Each one is a little packet if you're not familiar with them. You peel back the first layer, you've got the little cracker. And then the juice is the next layer. If you need a gluten-free cracker, they are off to the side. But how we'll do this, I encourage you to come down the center, follow the, the, not the center, but the center lines, and then circle back. But let me pray, and then we'll do communion, and the band will come back. So, Father, I thank you for showing us um, these men who gave everything for you because they knew what you had done in their lives, what you had changed, how you had rescued them. Paul was someone who was so against you. Lord, he, he attacked your people. He killed them. But you showed him mercy and forgiveness. And you used him so mightily, and I thank you for that, Lord, as it affects me even today. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we go out of here today, we're encouraged that we are strengthened to just share what you've done in our lives. No one can dispute that. I thank you for your love and your mercy and your gospel that guides us. In Jesus' name, amen.